Scott Harold is known for his interviews. Well, you're asking great questions. I think you're in the right career path, my friend. <laughs> I really do. Scott Harold's SOS Radio podcast starts now. C.S. Lewis said that true humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking about yourself less. And we're talking with Richard Louis. He's an anchor that's worked with CNN and MSNBC and NBC News over the last 30 years. And he's also the first Asian-American man to anchor a national cable news program. And he had to go to a place where he realized, you know what, my ambition needs to fall second to some greater purpose here. And had to face some things going on with his family and say, you know what, I need to make some changes. Hey, Richard. It's good to see you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate that. And despite me being a cabler, I'm glad that you decided to still speak with me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know what? It's wild. It's like, obviously, you travel all over the world and you're covering stories and you're working to one day get that anchor role, right? When you're doing news and you do that, you get that. And then your dad got sick and you felt like, do I need to give this all up? Do I need to make some changes in my life? Because... The pace that I'm running at, it's not really conducive to the needs of my family right now. That is such a tension, Richard. It was a huge tension, Scott. And, you know, things just happen and we all know that. And I don't know if I was ready. I had an opportunity to think about, okay, am I going to work less or work more? I went to go to talk with my boss and I thought she was going to say, well, Richard, we love you. Great guy. But we don't have less than eight days a week. That's what we do in journalism. And and she was right. I mean, she used to send me all over the world to cover stories. And instead, you know what she did? She goes, I'm a long distance caregiver too, Richard. I know you want to go from New York to California to take care of your dad. And so this is what we'll do. And we came up with a solution. Sounds like you have a great boss and a great team to work with that's willing to support you. I walked in there thinking, because you know, she, you know, that idea of an editor being like the tough love kind of uh, supervisor. (laughs) I thought I was walking into a buzzsaw, but not one that didn't like me, but, you know, just sort of like, hey, this is just the way it is. And sorry, but it was exactly not what I expected. We all say, I'll do anything for my friends. I'll do anything for my family. But when it comes a time to make a hard decision when your parents are aging or one of your close family members gets sick, it's like, ooh, you push aside all your personal ambition. You're like, oh, am I being prideful or am I following a calling? And there's such a tension there. We're talking with Richard Louie. He's an anchor with NBC News. He came to a place where he was rising the ladder and got that anchor seat. And you work seven days a week and you work crazy hours. He's living in Manhattan and his dad has Alzheimer's in California. It's like, oh, I feel like I need to help. I need to do something. And he had to go to his boss and say, hey, I got to make some serious changes here. Yeah. And she said, okay, working Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And so began doing like 300,000, 400,000 miles a year. There were some times, I got to tell you, I was just sitting there, Scott, on the subway platform at 3 a.m. in the morning, waiting for the train to come and you're you feel you want solitude that's solitude and you want to think that's thinking yeah there are times i mean over the last six years of doing it i got tired i get more tired now and but in the beginning it was just sort of like running and gunning i'd land in california i'd go straight to my mom's house help i said mom okay time for you to take a break i'm on And I would do like the 11 p.m. to the 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. shift because as a journalist, I would work those kind of crazy hours all the time. 
It's wild because when you're going through this season where you're traveling so much and you're talking about changing some things in your career, you're looking at your role with your parents and wrote a lot about how you had a discovery of what selflessness is about. I mean, everybody thinks like, I'm trying to keep my pride in check, but living in a selfless way, it stretches you and you don't see it coming. You don't. And the thing about it is it started to all kind of come together. And what, because of my job as a journalist, I was covering way too many mass shootings. I know your hometown suffered a very big one that I was covering as well from my anchor seat. And the fact that there are so many cities when I covered Newtown, Connecticut, and these are elementary school students and their lives taken. And then I see the racial pandemic of us looking at people and because of the color of their skin, things are very, very severe. And I, you see hate and violence so cheap with Colorado this week. And then last week we had Atlanta and then we have got the Asian hate crimes. And you, you really can see why we're living through a selfish pandemic. People thinking my way is the right way. And it is so much the right way, I'm going to take lives. And that is the epitome of selfishness. And if not, if I dare say even evil itself, because we don't, that, that is why I wanted to add just a little, a little stone on the side of an antidote to fight back on it. And that's the way the book is really, Scott. It's sort of like little pebbles that you can stack up to get that nice wall, that nice foundation of selflessness. You know, you've covered all of these stories and obviously as an Asian American yourself, and there's stories that hit close to home like this last week. And we just see all of this tension again and again and again. And it's like, we're all talking, but it feels like no one's really listening. Like as you've studied these stories from the anchor's chair, what do you see? When it comes to the, the recent number of hate incidents against the Asian American Pacific Islander community, it's not only those 22 million people that are extremely upset and are crying. I know it's all of America, most of America saying, wait, that's not who we are. Wait, what's happening here? What is this? Wait, I didn't understand it was this way. Is it really this way? Yeah, it's that way. Wait, wait, wait. Do we actually do this and we don't realize we do it sometimes? Yeah, you do. But let's get better and let's learn. And the thing that allows us to get to this point of 3,800 hate incidents within the last fiscal year, you know, that's, that's a lot and it's largely underreported. Sitting in the anchor seat, I think what is gratifying for me, Scott, is that our eyes and our hunger is greater than ever to try to get it right. And we also, in terms of the number of people being able to share the story with heart and mind in ways that we haven't been able to see before. We have 1,700 members of the Asian American Journalists Association, many of which go through the great state of Nevada. You know, whenever we have conferences there, there they are, you know, amazing representation. Those are the voices. There were 1,700. You know, in 1982, the beginning of the civil rights idea for the Asian American Pacific Islander community was, it was 1982 when Vincent Chin was killed in the street with a bat. And it's because two auto workers thought he was from Japan. And that was when Japan automakers were strong. That was the beginning. Between then and now, we have to ask the question, what happened? I'll tell you what did happen is that the people that ran to Vincent Chin's story 40 years ago were three journalists that were members of the Asian American community. We had 50 members back then. We have 1,700 today. We're now in the opportunity, I guess I want to say, 
Scott, is that when we think about being selfless is, yeah, so folks may look different, but they may actually share more in what's behind the forehead than what's on the forehead. We're talking about discerning truth when we're all emotional people and we all do have a worldview, but where we own that and where we push that aside. And we're talking with Richard Louis. He's actually an anchor with NBC News and MSNBC. You've probably seen him on TV. And Richard, we all see the polarization that's been going on in our culture. And a lot of us feel like the polarization is doing a lot of really rough things to our psyche and even in the news outlets themselves. I mean, we see and call out biasness. But when so many people feel like news is bias in itself, how do you discern where truth is as a person of faith who happens to be a journalist and you're looking at so much drama that just blankets all of that? At the end of the day, and I work with other journalists who are journalists of faith, they work hard at the craft. They work hard to get to truth. If there is anything that kind of jives with you know faith in journalism is truth. Another thing that kind of jives with it is that it's a selfless practice. The, the purpose of journal is not to talk about me, it's to talk about you. It's about to talk about other people, to share your stories that need to be told. If we strive towards the craft, hopefully, and achieving it most of the time, we're doing what I think is consistent with faith. Now, the other flip side is we're human, man. We make mistakes. We do it. But if I consciously get in there and I got a story and I go, oh, you know, this is my point of view and I'm going to put it in there and I know that it is very debatable, well, then I'm not quite doing my job. Now, my point of view, if you agree with this, which I hope is not debatable for most of the world, is that hate ain't good. <laughs> Violence is not good. Human yeah. trafficking, not good. Gender inequality, not good. You know, come on to my camp. And if you want to really argue that my point of view is, bi it is bias because I do believe that. But there's some things that are just almost categorically to me, the way I should be viewing the world. We're talking with Richard Louis today at SWS Radio, and you've probably seen him on MSNBC or on CNN over the years. And Richard, a few minutes ago, we were talking about our aspirations and our goals. And you're moving up the corporate ladder in the news world, and then your dad is struggling with Alzheimer's, and you feel like, do I need to go and be a full-time caregiver to my dad? If I do that and step away, how is that going to affect my career? And Richard, when you think about your aging parents, it forces you to think about your own mortality. Richard, how did that stretch your faith? It stretched me going through this in ways that would surprise my family all the way around. Somehow inside, and I'll, I'll tell you one story really quickly because my brother, number one, you know, we're all pastor's kids. I mean, my dad's a pastor. You know the stereotype of pastor's kids. <laughs> we fit yeah. that stereotype, okay? And so number one who really fit that one day on the family thread, because we would take care of my father who was in the hospital or when he was in the care community, we would say, okay, I visit him today. His blood pressure is this, heart rate this, breath spermenter this, you know, because we weren't sure whether we were going we to lose him. And one day when he, my brother's at the care community, he texts this on the bread. So I decided to read the first chapter of John to him because I named my son John, which he notes. It's like, yeah, we remember that part, Mark. Mark then reads the entire chapter and he says, and dad perked up. He tracked because he has, you know, Alzheimer's later on. And I said, wow, he did that? And my dad tracked and, you know, because he's my father, if there's anything he still read until he could no longer read was certainly, 
his morning devotionals. And that was just something he did. If you walked in right after he would bring down the great word to you immediately. So you knew the timing and you wouldn't go down right after that. You go down later in the afternoon, but my dad, he would do it every day. We've been talking about the difference between selfishness and selflessness, and we're talking with Richard Louis. You've probably seen him on TV in the news with MSNBC or CNN or NBC News. And Richard, you wrote a book about the unexpected power of selflessness. It's called Enough About Me. And when you were writing this book and bringing all your thoughts together, what was the unexpected part that happened to you? The unexpected, and there were many, I would say because we focused on science as well, both heart and mind. Like selflessness, I came in with heart. And then mine, I was like, well, as a business person, I was saying, I have to prove it to you. I have to show you and me. Actually, this is a guide for Richard Louis as well. Like this is for me to think all the time that there is much science, there is much study to show why it's good to be selfless, that you will live longer, that you will be happier, and you will be more attractive. Like this is the typical self-help book sort of questions. And that's why we call it the anti-self self-help book, because we're trying to think about self-help in a different way where I get better by not thinking about just me. That is not me, but we. And that's how we get things done. And that's the way we built the book too. It wasn't just me, there was we. There were 10 people all good at what they do, helping me to get this done. So when you had to walk away from part of your role at work and you had to embrace a whole lot of travel, and obviously it challenged you to think about your priorities, what do you never want to go back to that you were tied into years ago that today you found a little bit of freedom in? Look, we all have to do it, but if I could, I guess, tweak something. I would be slightly less career, but you might argue even today, I'm very career because I'm so into this book and trying to get the word out. But it's really about the word in the book. It's about the idea in the book. But and but I've been saying this, Scott, if you were my therapist, you would have heard it 100,000 times of trying to do less work. But what I've also realized is that this sort of work is also not work. Powerful. Now, Richard, you wrote a letter to your dad, the power of the written word it's lost today. I mean, when was the last time you went to your mailbox and it wasn't a bill or just a circular ad for like poultry that's on sale, right? And you actually get a handwritten letter. And you took the time to write a letter to your dad. You talk about in your book that it was really challenging you to think about gratefulness in a way that you hadn't thought about in years. You know, gratitude is kind of the cousin of selflessness. It is the advanced course, if you will. And it is to say thank you to appreciate that which you've been given. And the cover is full of dots. And the reason why we've got a lot of dots in a circle is to show that there's a lot that comes to form us to make us whole. And there's a lot that we give of our whole. And that continuous giving and receiving is important. And the gratitude that we show the receiving, sometimes we forget to say thank you for that, that which makes us whole, circles, as you see here. And there's different layers to that wholeness. And that's why we selected this cover this way, is to show that, you know, we do receive and therefore we must be grateful for it. And, you know, there's a lot of practical things. That letter 
Now, my dad can't understand anything necessary that I would read to him at great length now. That's past. But when you do the gratitude letter, which you're bringing up, which is one of the devices to practice gratitude for maybe a parent or a mentor that you have, Scott, it not only is just feels doggone good, feels a little weird when you're first writing it, feels a little weird when you're reading it, but the dopamine and the oxytocin in your body and the person that you are giving gratitude to has stays high for about a month. And that says a lot of things, not only that it's good for the mind, but really great for the health and heart. Because when, when your dopamine and oxytocin are high, that means you're in a good spot. Our bodies react to the way we are. So gratitude, try the letter, try the gratitude apps that are out there. I tried, I signed up for one a year ago. Thank you for the clean water I have. I was just looking back at the things I was typing in recently. Thank you for the clean water. Thank you for my very small apartment in Manhattan. <laughs> very small. Thank you for electricity. Thank you for my brother, Rob, Mark, and my sister, Kristen, for giving so much of themselves to take care of my parents. Every time I say it, I just feel better. It's wild, too, how gratitude becomes contagious when you're able to dig into it as a practice. Yes, when you think about it. And part of what we talk about in the book is how can you practice being selfless day to day? And one of the things that we describe is just really listen and really mean what you say. How are you doing today? You know, And I get that because I go out and I'll speak on caregiving with uh, Alzheimer's Association and AARP. And what's great about folks is that after the event, they go, how are you doing, Richard? And every time somebody asks me that, I try to stop and really think how I'm doing, as well as they may say, how is your dad doing? And I will stop and I'll think, let's see, the last time I, okay, what have I heard? And that is so healthy, I think, for the idea of selflessness being a very honest interaction with people. And I think the, how are you doing? Oh, good, thanks. You know, those are good too. But take a step back for a moment and maybe go, Scott, how are you doing? And really listen to every word Scott is saying now. Listen to every word. And it's a very journalistic thing. You know, you listen to every word. I listen to the lilt. I listen to the word choice. I watch body language. I watch eyes. I watch mouths. I watch everything that happens and if we can do that for a moment, that really is like, I'm here for you. This is the, again, not me, but we. Listening is such a part of living selfless, though, isn't it? Because yes. it's not talking about me, but it's listening and seeking to understand more than I'm trying to yes. be understood. Right. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, one of those things in listening is also when we're talking, the words that are used like use less I. I know for vulnerability, that's good, which in the book, that's the reason why. And you can, you know, folks could look at the book and go, but Richard's called enough about me. We have all these examples of you. The reason is it's, I was trying to be as open and vulnerable as possible to the difficulty that I've gone through just even getting this far. That's what the first chapter is halftime. Cause I'm basically saying, I don't know what's happening. I got no idea. I'm just trying to, that's a halftime look like, all right, team, what do we do? So we make the second half better. And so the reason why I bring in examples of me goofing up is because I think it's about not only an evaluation, but also um, being able to make fun and not take myself too seriously, but seriously at the same time. 
And that's the objective. So less I, though, in general. In our chapter, we talk about presidents who've used the word I and me a lot. And we have a chapter on politics, which you brought up earlier, that does not take a partisan, is not a partisan thing. I think selflessness is bipartisan. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it is. At I least. hope it is. Yeah. I hope that's what we have to look forward to, right? Yes. I hope it's a bipartisan thing. I just, or nonpartisan, put it that way, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, language is super important. Like names. I have difficulties with journalists pronouncing names, but I do my darndest to, I will ask because it's you. That is you. It has been given to you. It is all of you verbally in a word. And I need to try in a way that I may be uncomfortable. I may not be good at it, but I got to try. And I've goofed up because there's some long names out there. And But you know what's interesting about it? I don't mind anymore. I mean, if I make a mistake, hey, I made a mistake. So be it. I tried, though. That's why you record stuff and you can edit later. Like I do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> See, there you go. Go post. Love post. <laughs> Me too. We're talking with Richard Louie today at SWS Radio, and you've seen him on NBC. You've seen him on MSNBC. He actually has a brand new book. It's called Enough About Me. It's the unexpected power of selflessness. Hey, thanks for taking some time with us today, Richard. Scott, thank you for taking the time. Thanks for downloading the SOS Radio podcast. If you enjoy the discussion and want to help the podcast grow, you can make a $10 donation through sosradio.net or inside the SOS Radio app. Thanks for your generosity. It helps us experiment with new things and keep the discussions fresh.